the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. If we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. Freedom and the dignity of the individual have been more available and assured here than in any other place on earth. We're not, as some would have us believe, doomed to an inevitable decline. I do not believe in a fate that will fall on us no matter what we do. I do believe in a fate that will fall on us if we do nothing. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. This is Always Right on AM 1420, The Answer. Here's your host, Bob France. Yes, indeed it is. Always Right on AM 1420, The Answer. Good morning. Appreciate you being with us as we get started now. It's seven minutes after the hour of nine o'clock on a free for all Friday. And I mean that this time. I swear I do. I don't always deliver on free for all Friday because we just have a lot of people to talk to it, a lot of, uh, and a lot of important guests and we just get wrapped up in those things. We don't have a ton of time for your calls, uh, on whatever sucks might interest you. But today I really mean it. We are free for all. We have one guest we're going to talk to, our regular Friday guest. That will of course be Christina Hagen. She will provide some analysis and commentary at 1035 on the news of the day in Ohio and around the country that affect us. So we're looking forward to Christina Hagen. Other than that though, Plenty of opportunity. Now, I do have plenty of material to give you if you are not engaged enough to uh, want to pick up the phone or to go to alwayswrite.us and click record um, and uh, go ahead and send your message to me that way. If you just want to sit back and listen, that's okay. Put your feet up. I've got plenty to share with you. But in all seriousness, if you have something to say, if you have a question to ask, if you have a comment to make about things we've talked about this week, about uh, things we haven't talked about this week that you wish we would, this is the day to do it. Free for all. No subjects will be censored. I am going to ask you, by the way, just on that, you know, in that vein, we don't talk sports on this program. I, I used to talk sports for a living. My talk radio career began back in 1997 doing ta- uh, sports talk radio. Um, that's all I used to do. Now I hardly ever watch professional sports because I cannot stand the wokeness of the NFL and the wokeness and the racism and the hypocrisy of the NBA. And to a lesser extent, but also still there, uh, Major League Baseball. I can't do it. What baseball did last year kind of put me over the top. And it's not even just the Indians becoming the guardians out of political correctness. 
what they did to the people of Atlanta under the guise of, oh my goodness, it's voter suppression in Georgia because they want to make voter ID required to make sure that people aren't casting votes for other people, make sure they are who they say they are, etc. We're taking the All-Star game away from Atlanta and around $100 million of economic development and growth and and, uh, revenue generated for Atlanta, which, by the way, has a significantly uh, uh, majority African-American population. And we're going to take it and move it to Denver, which is overwhelmingly white. (laughs) In the interest of of racial justice, particularly as it pertains to uh, voter identification, and I know those two two things don't have anything to do with each other, but this is what they say. We're going to move the All-Star game. Baseball really lost me there, too. So anyway, my point to all of that is, I don't talk sports on this program because I very rarely watch. I watch the NCAA because my son is an NCAA athlete, and I still will will, will engage in that. But um, I'm curious as to to your thoughts about the Browns quarterback signing. I joked with Peter Kersenow about it on Tuesday just for a hot minute, but I haven't spent any time on it. It's pretty controversial. The Cleveland Browns signed a quarterback who was uh, the one of the best quarterbacks in football for his first four years, certainly a top-five talent. They signed him to a $230 million contract earlier this week, guaranteed $230 million. Problem is, he comes with a whole lot of questions, including is he going to be suspended or when he is suspended, how long will it be for a litany of allegations against him um, involving sexual assault and sexual harassment of women, particularly women that he chose to provide massage therapy to him, turning down the team's uh, massage therapist. Yeah, teams actually have that. They have because deep tissue massage is a real thing for athletes. Turned down those so that he could go pursue his own and then proceeded to, according to the women, 22 of which have filed civil lawsuits against him, to sexually harass and or assault them. I don't know what he did or didn't do, but I do know that it's a controversial issue, and I do know a lot of people are wondering whether or not they can remain Browns fans, um, you know, having had this happen. They're having a big problem with it. So that's what I mean by Free For All Friday. Anything you want to talk about. Obviously, Ukraine and Russia and gas prices and Kataji Brown-Jackson and all the other things we're talking about are fair game, but whatever you want to talk about, even if it's something like that, that's my point. So I've got a lot of very important information to get into this morning. I want to start with our Pledge of Allegiance. So patriots, if you would please rise, face the flag that you have. If you don't have one, that's all right, too. But put your hand on your heart and join me in our Pledge of Allegiance to start our broadcast. If you do not believe in properly vetting a person for the Supreme Court by asking questions about their record and about their judicial philosophy and their personal beliefs, if you think that's out of line because the Supreme Court nominee happens to be African-American and female, if you think we should just not say anything remotely critical or question anything remotely controversial because it's an affront to justice if you actually question someone who is historic in both being black and female, then you don't understand what that flag stands for anyway. You don't have to stand. You don't have to say the pledge. Just take a knee next to your favorite ex-quarterback. For the rest of us, though, I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. 
All right, thank you, my fellow patriots. Go ahead and have a seat. Uh, listen, I, I want to start with this because this needs to be done. I, I talked about this yesterday in my monologue extensively, and this is before finding out about the Washington Post article. The Washington Post has decided that questioning and criticizing in any way the record of Ketanji Brown Jackson, Joe Biden's specifically demographically chosen uh, Supreme Court nominee. And when I say demographically, meaning she had to fit the demographics that he wanted on the court. Not qualifications, but first and second, race and sex. Those are the top two qualifications. Got to be got to be a certain color, and you got to be a certain sex. If we can even identify what sex is, if she can even identify what sex means, you had to be black and had to be a female. That's where Katanji Brown Jackson came from, and uh, from a from a very small pool, obviously. And um, the Washington Post has written an article which essentially says what I told you they were saying, and I didn't even know it existed, and that is questioning her makes you a racist. If you condemn her uh, and her record, you are a racist. Even if you are focusing only on um, her record and not her high school drinking habits, you're a racist and you are a sexist. And as a matter of fact, the Republicans on that Judiciary Committee have treated Katanji Brown-Jackson worse than Democrats treated Brett Kavanaugh. I wish I was making this up. This posted yesterday at around 2 o'clock. So this is after I got off the air. I had no knowledge of this uh, post, uh, this Washington Post post, if you will. Um, at the time we did the show yesterday, everything that I said in my monologue yesterday morning at this very time was just based on my observation and listening to television and so on and so forth, the liberal critics, uh, how dare you condemn and or criticize and or question Ketanji Brown Jackson, you racist, misogynist you. But here comes the Washington Post taking it a step further. This is worse than what happened to Brett Kavanaugh. I want to read some of this to you. Three and a half years ago, Democrats in the Senate conducted the work. This is not the Washington Post, by the way. This is from the Western Journal talking about the Post article, which I will quote. Conducted the worst coordinated attack on a Supreme Court nominee in American history. i got to pause there, too. Jeez, I hate chasing rabbits uh, down the rabbit hole. But then we have to go back to uh, Clarence Thomas, which might have been the worst coordinated attack on a Supreme Court nominee in American history. Unless it was Robert Bork. <laughs> and you notice how they're always conservatives? Those are the ones facing the personal attacks on their character, not on their judicial records, just on their personal character. That's what happens. Republicans are questioning the judicial record and judicial philosophy of this particular nominee, not her personal character, not her past uh, you know, private life associations and so forth. The worst attacks on nominees always come from the left to a conservative candidate nominated by a a Republican um, uh, president. But anyway, I digress. In an editorial published Wednesday, the Washington Post editorial board claimed that Republicans have treated current Supreme Court nominee Ketanji Brown-Jackson worse in her confirmation hearing than Democrats treated Brett Kavanaugh. The editorial said Republicans, quote, have smeared Judge Jackson based on an obvious distortion of her record in the law and what it described in in what it described as a clownish performance wow 
distorting her record. They're questioning her record, repeating her decisions, particularly as it pertains to sentencing of child pornographers, both producers, or rather producers, distributors, and users. Her clownishly light sentences to these horrific stains of human beings. But but we're distorting that record? No. Quote, meanwhile, in previous hearings, quote, it was Mr. Kavanaugh who behaved intemperately, personally attacking Democratic senators and revealing partisan instincts that raised questions about his commitment to impartiality, the Washington Post editorial board said. This is incredible. So the Western Journal says, if the Washington Post wants to play the comparison game, let's get right to it. In 2018... Then-President Donald Trump nominated Kavanaugh to the Supreme Court. He was an established judge who had undergone six FBI background checks in the previous 25 years without any serious allegations against him. Nonetheless, Democratic Senator Dianne Feinstein of California received an unsubstantiated allegation of sexual assault against Kavanaugh from a woman named Christine Blase Ford. She hid the letter for over six weeks until just before the confirmation hearing. And then she only briefed her Democratic colleagues on the Judiciary Committee about the letter. By the time the hearing started, many Senate Democrats had already decided Kavanaugh was guilty of said sex crime from 30 years earlier. They spent most of their time questioning him, trying to force him to admit guilt, despite his insistence that he was innocent. Some Democrats went as far as to bring out calendars from 30-some years ago. And Senator Amy Klobuchar of Minnesota questioned Kavanaugh about his college drinking habits. The implication was, of course, that if Kavanaugh was a heavy drinker in college, he most likely raped somebody and didn't remember all the details. Attacks like these were baseless, disgusting, and an investigation proved how shoddy they were. In an opinion article, the Post's editorial board said Christine Blase Ford had, quote, credibly accused Mr. Kavanaugh of sexual assault. In reality, her allegations were proven to have no credibility at all. The Senate Judiciary Committee said after its investigation in 2019 that it found no witness, none, zero, who could provide any verifiable evidence to support any of the allegations brought against Brett Kavanaugh. Didn't stop there. Committee said even after separate and extensive investigations by both the committee and the FBI, that there was no evidence to substantiate any of the claims against Kavanaugh. Unless the Post can provide evidence neither the committee nor the FBI could find, calling the allegations credible is a deliberate lie. Democrats attempted to turn a weak and unverified allegation against Kavanaugh into a bludgeon to hit him with, and they ultimately failed. Now, that's the Kavanaugh side. Let's compare that now to the supposedly horrible treatment Jackson has been subjected to this week. Republican Senators Ted Cruz and Josh Hawley were among those who questioned the nominee about her record of sentencing child porn offenders to less time than the guidelines recommended. Every single case, 100% of them, when prosecutors came before you with child pornography cases, you sentenced the defenders to substantially below not just the guidelines, which are way higher, but what the prosecutor asked for. On average of these cases, 47% less time than what the prosecutors asked for. That's damning. And it's also relevant because it's about record. It's about judicial performance, judicial discretion, judicial temperament. And who do you support and side with? 
in some of her commentary in explaining those decisions, she expressed sympathy not for the victims of the child pornography cases, but the child pornographers, users, and distributors. Sympathy for them and their families. So sorry for you that you're going to have to go to prison for a very, very short period of time rather than what the prosecutors want. Holly asked her about a case in which she gave an offender an extremely lenient three-month sentence and then apologized to him for doing so. Quote, you said this is a truly difficult situation. I appreciate that your family's in the audience. I feel sorry for them and for you and for the anguish this has caused all of you. I feel terrible about the collateral consequences of this conviction. And then she went on to say, sex offenders are truly shunned in our society. Hawley asked her, I'm just trying to figure this out, Judge. Is he the victim here or are the victims the victims? I'll stop here and ask the obvious question. Is this worse treatment? than what the Democrats did to Brett Kavanaugh in 2018? There's more to her record on the issue. According to the New York Times, the U.S. Sentencing Commission sent a report to Congress in 2012 that said sentencing guidelines for child porn crimes fail to differentiate among offenders in terms of their culpability. Jackson was a member of the commission at that time. While there's no mandatory minimum sentence for possession of child porn, receiving or distributing it carries a minimum five-year sentence. In the report, the commission argued that the penalties for possession and receipt of those materials should be the same and that the mandatory minimum should be less than five years for both. The Times was attempting to fact-check allegations against Jackson by using semantics. The outlet said, the Times, that the assertion, or excuse me, the assertion that Jackson advocated for lighter sentences for child porn was overly broad and omits that the commission is bipartisan and issued the recommendations as a body. Now, they can play those word games all day long, but the fact that a commission on which Jackson served argued for lighter penalties for child pornographers, and Jackson did not disagree with the commission she sat on, is a very disturbing fact that should be part of the record when questioning this nominee. And they claim that that's not, and that questioning her on these things is the same as questioning Brett Kavanaugh and accusing him of being a a, a rapist. And in fact, it went on, as you know, in that clown show, it went on to, to accuse Brett Kavanaugh of being an orchestrator of gang rape parties on a routine, regular, weekly basis. Do you remember that? So questioning Ketanji Brown Jackson about her judicial decisions is worse, according to the Washington Post, than calling Brett Kavanaugh a repeated gang rapist during his confirmation hearings. Now, why would one think that one of those is so much more egregious than the other? The answer? Black female. That's it. How dare you criticize or question her judgment? Don't you know that she's historic? Do you not understand she's a black female? Black females have never been on the court before. So how dare you get in the way of history? She's black. Shut up, racist. She's a female. Shut up, sexist. And the fact that she doesn't even know that she's a female, well, that's none of your business. I'll cover that element right after this on AM 1420 The Answer.
927 on Always Right, AM 1420, The Answer. Appreciate you being with us. Let's listen to a little bit of the worse than, uh, this is worse than Democrats treated Kavanaugh. In comes the internet. On the internet, with one click, you can receive, you can distribute tens of thousands. You can be doing this for 15 minutes, and all of a sudden, you are looking at 30, 40, 50 years in prison. Good. Put Good. I understand. Absolutely good. I hope you are. To do good. Allow her to finish, please. I hope you go to jail for 50 years. If you're on the Internet trolling for images of children and sexual exploitation. So you don't think that's a bad thing. I think that's a horrible that's not thing. What the witness said. She that is exactly what she said. You piece of human flotsam and jetsam Dick Durbin. Lindsey Graham. Well done, sir. Apparently, apparently, as Katanji Brown Jackson engaged in full-on child pornographer apologetics, if that's a word, as she literally offered apologies for the terrible treatment of child pornographer users and distributors, and Lindsey Graham said, good, they should go to jail for 30 or 40, 50 years. Apparently, that is treating her more unfairly than they treated Brett Kavanaugh by calling him a gang rapist. How can anybody want this woman to sit on the high court? She literally is saying, if you're just disseminating and sending uh, with, with one click, and you do it for 15 minutes, so that's many clicks, and you do it for 15 minutes, you're looking at 30 or 40 years, and she doesn't want them to do 30 or 40 years. If you are browsing and sharing child pornography, you are destroying children. You are abusing them. You are engaging in the process of abusing them to the point of of utter life destruction. We're talking psychological therapy and issues for the rest of their lives. Anybody who knows anything about child sexual abuse knows what it does to the children for the rest of their lives, much less forcing them to engage in sexually abusive um, scenarios with other children in front of cameras and, and, and screens and lights and directors and adults telling them what to do to one another, forcing them to copulate with one another in the most bizarre and, and depraved things you can imagine. Katanji Brown Jackson wants to sit in our high court and tell us that those people, we feel bad for them. Those people who make that possible by creating and contributing to the market for child pornography, well, they shouldn't go to to jail for 30 or 40 years. Lindsey Graham was right, and this is not harassment of a Supreme Court nominee. This is a complete and full, accurate assessment of her judicial record. And it needs to be on the record when every Republican votes against her, as they should. Quite frankly, if the Democrats even a hint of morals, they would vote against her as well. But you know how that goes. After all, she's historic. We'll be back. When the world is upside down and the majority turns to the left... Turn to the right, always right, with Bob France on AM 1420, The Answer. 
Got so much to talk about with Katanji Brown Jackson and so many other things to talk about, too. I really, uh, I'm, I'm so glad we have our third hour today. I mean, seriously, this is exactly why we needed our third hour because I have about, you know, six hours worth of material. I used to have to try to cram into two. Now I have three. So I have a little bit more flexibility there. So I've got a lot for you at 216, or excuse me, I've got a lot for you. And when you want to get to me, it's 216-901-0945, Let me get Vince up and on the line now before I get into more on Katanje Brown Jackson. Hey, Vince, go ahead, sir. Thanks, Bob. Um, you bet. It, it just amazes me that it's it, it, they keep going. They keep going to this card they play, and it's the only card they've got to play, and that's the race card. I'm tired of the flame throwing left, just throwing that out. You know, if if, if you look up in the sky and you say, "Gee, it looks like it's going to be a rainy day," oh, you're a racist. It's just, it's it's no matter what comes out of anybody's mouth about anything, and they don't like it. You're a racist, or in this case, as you said earlier, you're a racist and a misogynist. And it just amazes me how some of our people on the right, I know Lindsey Graham, a couple other folks, uh, Ted Cruz, that are standing up and fighting that. But, man, we we really need our representatives on on our side to stand up stronger and harder than that. And and the other thing, yesterday we were talking to uh, uh, Dr. Piper, um, and he said about the cancellation culture and that. And it's like, I I agree with him. We've got to stand up in mass and, and not let these people do this to good-willed people who want to stand up for our rights and want to stand up for what is right in this country, for our Constitution. And when people try to cancel you, it, it's it's time to fight back and fight back en masse. Yeah, and, and it body. has to be en masse. Yeah, it does, Vince. It has to be en masse. But here's the thing, as I said to Dr. P- and by the way, to your first point about playing the race card all the time, it used to be the last refuge for the defeated, right? Uh, when you couldn't win an right. argument and you tried with all of the facts that you have or the supposed facts that you have and you're debating, 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 and you can't win, then the last card you play is the race card. In 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 this era, in, in woke America, which really has kind of just been built in the, va- the last few short years, in in woke America, it's the top card. It's the first card in the deck. Wait, did you did you really just criticize her? You do you do realize she's black, right? You racist. I mean, it doesn't even. They don't even have to debate with the facts or the merit of merits of the arguments anymore. It's just wait a second. You can't criticize people who are darker than you. That makes you an oppressor and it makes them a victim. CRT is live and in action. Yep, that's how they go. They do. And Vince, thanks for the call, my friend. As it pertains to standing up, uh, like Dr. Piper talked about yesterday, and, and, and he, you know, the reality is, as I pointed out, there is safety in numbers. If you stand up with a whole host of other courageous people, um, you, you, you have a shot at making a change, having an impact, positive impact, simply trying to treat everybody with equality, not equity, Equality, which is what our Constitution and our Declaration of Independence promise us, equality. If you find enough people to do that, you you stand a chance of making an impact and not getting canceled. If other people are afraid to stand up or if you can't find them because you're, you're already censored from coordinating with other people via social media. The social media platforms are simply... I hope I don't go too far when I say satanic. I think social media is evil, and I say that with a with a hypocrisy badge on my chest because I do use it. But I feel like as evil as it is, as toxic as it is, 
And as, as extraordinarily powerful as the left has made it for them, it can be used in some circumstances for good. And that is for us to find other people like us. What are us? I don't have to go through this, do I? Patriotic people of all colors, ages, shapes, sizes, and, and sex, excuse me, sexual orientation. And on down the line, people who believe in equality, people who believe in, in liberty, people who believe in medical freedom, people who believe in speech freedom, freedom to wear, all the things that this country is founded upon. That's who I mean when I say we. And again, it has no bearing on party. It's all about character and, and personal uh, um, belief systems, right? But we can't find each other because then they cancel us from those social media platforms, making them even more evil. So... We, it's, it's a tough road to hoe when we have to stand up and fight against the kind of cancel culture that we're talking about. We have to be brave enough to be, to lose our jobs. That's what Dr. Piper talked about. You, if you are unwilling to risk all, and I'm paraphrasing here, but it's close. He said something to the effect of, if we're unwilling to risk all, we pretty much gain none. If we just kind of half-heartedly say, well, that's not fair, and then go on about accepting that unfairness, we, we gain nothing. If you are willing to lose your situation, whether it be job or standing as a student or, or on a committee or whatever the case might be, and, and, and you know, that's the only way we can make an impact, but we can't do those things unless there are numbers. You've got to put numbers together in order for them to not be able to cancel a whole massive group of people. They can cancel and fire one person or say, you're not welcome here. Uh, no, I'm rejecting your job application because of your, your political ideology. And as an individual, we can all be bitten like that. As a massive group, we have a lot more power. We have a lot more chances of not being canceled or having our own personal situations destroyed by the left. So thank you, Vince. And that's a lot to chew on. That's a lot to think about. But Dr. Piper was, was right about that yesterday, and I'm glad you brought it up. Uh, Brian, Cleveland, you're on the air. Brian, go ahead, sir. Hey, Bob, if I can bring a couple things to the table real quick. Bring the other day, uh, Ketanji Brown was uh, talking to Marsha Blackburn about the um, the definition of uh, woman or female, however. Yeah, I was and just about to get to that, make- actually. After your call, I'm going to get into that a little more. Go ahead, finish. She can't make the definition because she's not a biologist. So <laughs> did she unconsciously admit that gender is biological and not psychological? That's the exact same point I told the crowd in Strongsville on Wednesday night. If she says, I can't tell you what a woman is because I'm not a biologist, she is saying that it is a biological reality. It is not a psychological condition of how I feel inside my head. Uh, And that's the exact same point I made. So great minds think alike, Brian. You're right on it. What else you got? Hey, appreciate it. Hey, if I can say one more thing. Yeah. Um, the The steal from TJ, Mr. Potato Head on Pennsylvania Avenue, They're making a big deal about how the U.S. and Europe made a deal to supply Europe with United States liquid petroleum. Okay, great. Wouldn't it be a great idea if, I don't know, maybe we could supply the United States with United States liquid petroleum? Yeah, that might help a little bit, huh? A little little, little bit of liquefied natural gas? Yeah, that would actually help us out an awful lot here, considering what is happening at energy costs here. But we don't count. You know that. In the same way that the Ukrainian border counts, but the American border does not, uh, according to to the President Potato Head, as you called him. I call him President Brandon, but that works, too. Brian, thanks for the call. I appreciate that. Uh, And it's a great point all the way around. See, that's why I disagree with a guy like J.D. Vance. I don't want to go into the Senate race right now. I'm going to talk about Katanji Brown-Jackson, but I told J.D. Vance this uh, not not 
Wednesday when I spoke with him, but the, the last time I spoke with him, about a month before, when he was on Tucker Carlson and essentially saying, we shouldn't be touching Ukraine or concerned about it until we deal with our own southern border. He said, we can't chew gum and, and walk at the same time because we can't, we, you know, we're, not, we're not doing one, so we shouldn't do the other. And I fundamentally disagree. We need to deal with our southern border, absolutely, and we can do it at the same time. We provide assistance to Ukraine in order to push back against Putin and stop the rest of the world's strongmen dictators from realizing that we are led by the worst, weakest presidential leadership that this country has had since Jimmy Carter, and we're ripe for the picking now. We have to be able to do both of those things. So, at any rate, you mentioned, uh, let's go back to Katanji Brown-Jackson, because that's what I, what, I, what I wanted to do anyway. It's a remarkable thing to hear her speak and say things like this. Tell you, too, I, with Georgetown Day School, I found Sorry, it. Sorry, that's the wrong one. Where is her clip on women? I believe it is here. Here we go. Just last week, an entire generation of young girls watched as our taxpayer-funded institutions permitted a biological man to compete and beat a biological woman in the NCAA Swimming Championships. What message do you think this sends to girls who aspire to compete and win in sports at the highest levels? Senator, I'm not sure what message that sends. If if you're asking me about the legal issues related to it, um, those are topics that are being hotly discussed, as you say, and... We didn't ask if they're being hotly discussed. She asked for your discussion, your point of view on it. Should girls be allowed to be girls and race against other girls? Come to the court. So I'm and able to... I think it tells our girls that their voices don't matter. I think it tells them that they're second class citizens and parents want to have a Supreme Court justice who is committed to preserving parental autonomy and protecting our nation's children. And particularly protecting our nation's girls. But the problem, as Marsha Blackburn was identifying there, is determining what is a girl. What does it mean to be female? What does it mean to be a woman? And that, of course, was the big line. Uh, Can you provide a definition for the word woman? Can I provide a definition? Mm -hmm. No. Yeah. I can't. You can't? N- not in okay. this context. So I'm you not a biologist. The of the word wo- not in this context. I'm not a biologist. I wonder if this child was a biologist. Boys have a penis. Girls have a vagina. He seemed to get it. I know it was a movie line, but we all related to it. We laughed our heads off at it in Kindergarten Cop. Because it's simple for children to understand. It's not ambiguous. And he, you don't have to be a biologist. Boys have a penis. Girls have a vagina. There you go. I think one of the other best examples of how insane Katanji Brown-Jackson's answer is here was found in another viral video that I don't have in front of me at the moment, but maybe you've seen it. Um, they were watching... Uh, one of the national championship events in the stands, and a British-accented woman was arguing with a guy about Leah Thomas being a male and swimming against the girls in the national championships. And he said, well, uh, 
she pointed out what is a man and what is a woman. And the uh, the gentleman, the guy who was arguing that it was okay for Leah Thomas to identify as a woman and swim there, asked her, uh, 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 are you a biologist or are you a scientist? And she said, no, and I'm also not a veterinarian, but I know what a dog is. And that's it's as simple as what you just heard from the movie clip. I don't have to be a vet to know what a dog is, and I don't need to be a biologist or a scientist or a geneticist to know what a woman is. As a matter of fact, what makes this so hilarious is the fact that she is sitting in that chair right now because she's a woman. How can she possibly not explain that? How does she justify saying, no, I not in this context, I'm not a biologist, I don't know what a woman is. She literally knows that Joe Biden promised to nominate a woman who happens to be black. A black woman was the two criteria he identified before he ever said her name. I'm going after a black female to be the next Supreme Court justice to replace Breyer, whom me and my party forced out, by the way. Can't have a take a chance on uh, 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 on him uh, surviving and lasting past November, because then if the Republicans take over the Senate and then he retires... Then anybody I put up there is going to not be passed because Republicans will have the majority to block them or her. Anyway, Joe Biden said, I want a black female, a black woman. Here comes Katanji Brown Jackson, a black woman. Hey, Katanji, what's a woman? I don't know. What do you mean you don't know? Well, I'm not a biologist. Tulsi Gabbard, former Democrat candidate for president, by the way, I think said it best. In a two tweet thread, she said, In order to have a Supreme Court committed to protecting the rights of all Americans, including women, every justice needs to understand there is such a thing as a woman, as distinct from a man. Yet when asked to define the word woman, Supreme Court nominee Judge Ketanji Brown-Jackson said, I don't know. The hypocrisy and absurdity of this is that she was nominated by President Biden in large part because she is a woman. Not just in, that's worth an ovation, not just in uh, large part, but but specifically, specifically in full, because she's a woman and a black woman. That's the whole reason she's there. If Joe Biden had committed to choosing the very best Supreme Court justice candidate in the world, well, in America, if he had chosen to do that and said, I'm going to find the very best, best person, there's not a chance in creation that he chooses Katanji Brown Jackson. Might be another woman. Might be another black woman. I don't know. Might be a man. Might be a white man. A Hispanic. Who knows? But he said, nope. I'm narrowing it down to a very tiny sliver of the population. Black and female. Only chance you have of being chosen here. And yet that black female cannot identify what a female actually is. And she, we all know why. Because it would paint her into a corner. It would paint her against the left's belief and the left's talking point that woman can't be defined because a woman can mean anything. It depends on how you feel inside your head and inside your soul. And and apart from science, being a woman can be anything you want it to be. She couldn't define woman by biology as what it actually is because it would violate um, and go against the wishes of her party and her ideology, the far left. 9.52. Mr. Scream, take us into break, sir. (laughs) And the missus.
the government is so bad, you just have to laugh. <laughs> Always right with Bob France. <laughs> I'm laughing too. On AM 1420. Answer. Problem is, we're laughing at you. Let's go. Yeah. Let's go, Brandon. Let's go, Katanji Brown-Jackson. Oh, it's such a racist thing to point out all of these obvious, ridiculous things that she has said. And by the way, she has made IDK her own, right? If you know uh, texting shorthand or short code or whatever, if you just, if somebody asks you something on uh, uh, on texting and you don't know the answer, you don't type out I-D-O-N apostrophe T-K-N-O-W, you write IDK, I don't know. She has made IDK her own. She has answered I don't know to more questions in four days than anybody I've ever seen in a confirmation hearing before. It's truly an astounding thing, the number of things that she says she doesn't know or isn't willing to answer. And in my estimation, her refusal to acknowledge what a woman is, when that's the reason she's in the chair, is disqualifying. It's enough of a reason for her to not be uh, confirmed. Uh, let's go to the phones again. We'll go to Cleveland, and this is Art on AM 1420, The Answer. Thanks for waiting, Art. You're on the air. Hey, Bob. Thanks for taking my call. My um, you know, every four to eight years, we seem to, you know, we elect a Republican. We inch back to the right a hair, uh, or then, you know, or we elect a Democrat. And we go way left, swerving, like, between Obama and Mr. Potato Head, who we have now. And, it, you know, Trump got us moving further right than they were comfortable with, and that's why he had to go. So, I mean, we are heading to a point. I mean, we're, we're ultimately going to slide into the abyss. There's, there's no stopping this unless we, as if we take that hard turn right and say enough's enough and correct this. The, the country can't take it. It's either going to go into communism or it's going to split, or we're going to fight an ugly civil war, which we know nobody wins that. It, it, it'll be terrible for everybody. So is it better to split because we can't switch it back to the constitutionality or do we let it slide or do we, you know, that's, those are the three choices. I see no other. Well, I don't think we're to the point where we have to make that decision now because the fight isn't over. Um, it is an uphill battle. You're right. Um, the options are not all perfect at all. In fact, some of them are devastating to think about. Uh, but the fight is not over yet where we start talking about splitting. I think there are remedies for uh, repairing that which is broken in this country. Uh, a lot of people talk um, with very with great seriousness about you know the uh, 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 convention of the states going back uh, and reverting back to uh, you know getting getting uh, the majority I think you need to have two thirds of the states uh, getting together and going back to the constitutional standard uh, and 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 in fact, Essentially, uh, restoring and and revising, if need be, uh, and reiterating uh, constitutional measures that are being destroyed right now, including by the court. So, I think there are remedies where we don't have to just abandon that which we have been given. And it's and thank you for the call, my friend. I'm up against the news here, um, but I do understand your point. It is very frustrating, and it does have people thinking, "What's next? If we can't climb this hill, you called it an uphill climb. If we can't climb this hill." And this country will never be what it was before. Do we just accommodate it and accept it? Or do we split from it? And, or do we have a civil war over it? 
I, I would certainly hope that the latter never happens. I would really hope that none of those things ever happen, to be honest with you. I feel like we just have to continue to fight, elect the right people that do the will of the people. Um, and like I said, maybe even something as extreme as, uh, as having a convention of states. And uh, uh, the options, like I said, are not all pretty. Thank you for the call. It's great stuff. Hour number one down, two hours to go. I got Christina Hagen at uh, 1035. But other than that, as I said, it truly is a free-for-all today. So any topic you want to get into, you dial me at 216-901-0945. Or you leave me a message at alwayswrite.us. Use the record sound off function there. Send me messages. I will play them on the air and react on AM 1420 The Answer. You and I have a rendezvous with destiny. We'll preserve for our children this, the last best hope of man on earth, or we'll sentence them to take the last step into a thousand years of darkness. Welcome to Always Right with Bob France on AM 1420, The Answer. Hour number two out of three. Is underway now. Appreciate you being with us. It's eight minutes past ten o'clock as we roll into two. It is the twenty-fifth morning of the third month of the year of our Lord, twenty twenty-two. Coming up at the bottom of this hour, we're going to talk with um, uh, Christina Hagen, former state representative, current member of the Ohio Elections Board, uh, which is an amazing thing. So we're going to talk to her at uh, at ten thirty-five. But uh, before her and after her, we are guest-free, so that it is truly a free-for-all Friday. Whatever topic you have, whatever question you have, whatever comment you want to make, it's all fair game uh, this morning on AM 1420, The Answer. And if you don't want to wait on hold, and I know a lot of people don't, 216-901-0945, you can just go to alwayswrite.us. Alwayswrite.us. That's my own personal website. I launched it about, what, two, two and a half weeks ago now? And one of my favorite features of it is the uh, sound off button in the upper right-hand corner uh, where it just tells you, click here to record your message for the show. It comes right to me. I will play it live and on the air. And I've got several of those that I'm going to be doing today. By the way, a couple of headlines on alwayswrite.us. CRT in action. No federal protection for white students. Wait, what? Critical race theory in, in action in Wisconsin. A Wisconsin school district has determined that state and federal non-discrimination laws do not apply to white kids because they're not part of a protected class. That means if your white kid is discriminated against on the basis of his white skin, he has no legal recourse. Can you imagine such a thing? This uh, ruling came down. In response to a student's parents received uh, that they, a response that students' parents received after they filed a racial discrimination complaint, the Wisconsin Institute for Law and Liberty condemned the outrageous uh, decision, calling the district's official position that race discrimination laws do not apply to white students patently false. In a letter to the district superintendent, what is the exact language? What is the exact language? I'm, I'm asking legitimately. I'm going to look it up real quick. Uh, of the Civil Rights Act as it pertains to discrimination on the basis of race. Uh, let me just uh, see if I can pull this up here, the actual text of, of the Civil Rights Act. 
Now, these are all descriptions. These are all descriptions. Hold on a second. Because I'm I'm almost positive the last time I actually read the text of it that it did say that discrimination on the basis of race is prohibited, not just darker races or uh, Hispanic-speaking races or Asia, just race, period. And considering that being white is considered a race, as is Caucasian, um, that, that the Civil Rights Act would protect everybody from having their rights violated by discrimination. In July 1964, Congress passed the Civil Rights Act, blah, blah, blah. It established, uh, it addressed voting rights, discrimination in public accommodation, segregation in public education, and equal employment opportunities. It established a commission that included a provision against discrimination based on gender, which opponents had inserted in an effort to prevent the bill from passing. Unfortunately, the Civil Rights Act did not offer a direct remedy, blah, blah, blah. And I can't find it. I apologize, because I'm literally... Well, we know what they are. I just wanted the text, uh, Johnny, the actual text. Uh, we, we know what they are, that it's race, color, creed, and, and, and national, sex and national orient, uh, 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 origin. I, know, I just wanted to read it in its exact wording, which I can't seem to find. Oh, here, maybe this is it. Uh, let's see. Civil Rights Act, nope. Nope, this is the Civil Rights Act of 1991 to amend the Civil Rights Act of 1964, and away we go. So I apologize. I I didn't plan to do this, so it doesn't matter. The point is, I know the language does not say, except white people. This is the point I'm trying to make here. The Civil Rights Act does not protect people based on the, from dis- discrimination based on the color of their skin, except for white people. And yet, that's exactly what is being done here. They think there's something called protected classes where only certain people are in a protected class and that there's also a majority class that does not benefit from these protections, said uh, Wisconsin Institute for Law and Liberty Council Daniel P. Lennington. That is not what the law is, and that's what critical race theory teaches, teaches, but it is not what the law is. And he's right, of course. Read more about that at alwaysright.us. Also, a terrific story on Oklahoma, the Oklahoma House of Representatives overwhelmingly passed a ban on nearly all abortions. Nearly all abortions in the state of Oklahoma. That is celebratory. And some of the other top stories on uh, alwayswrite.us this morning. Confirmation, double standard at play uh, with Jackson confirmation hearings. Uh, Tom Cotton questioning Ketanji Brown-Jackson on porn offenders, saying that they repeat because of people like you who go light on them. The CDC telling the New York Times it hid COVID data for po- uh, political reasons. The trans lobby doesn't want to erase just women's sports, but women, period. Eight Joe Biden scandals to investigate after admitted uh, uh, the admission of Hunter's laptop being legitimate. And also Biden's regime compl- uh, extremely concerned that Hunter Biden will be indicted. So I literally do have breaking news stories up there every day, as well as uh, some of the other fun stuff that you have come to enjoy already on alwaysright.us. All right, uh, since it is a free-for-all, let's go to Charlie and Westlake next. Hey, Charlie, go ahead, sir. Hey, Bob. Thank you again for taking the call. Certainly. Um, news, yesterday I was watching, and uh, I, I kind of slipped past a lot of people, but uh, Donald Trump has decided he's suing everybody for the, the lies they said told about him about the Russian scandal. He's suing the DNC. He's suing Hillary Clinton herself. He's suing everyone. I'm going, I didn't even know that was a possible, but I think it's the greatest thing. I really, uh, you know, I don't know how he wins, but that he's 
calling them all out, I think, is the greatest thing. And I'm thinking with this this, this uh, Kavanaugh thing, he should sue Blasey Ford. She just lied her face off uh, to, the, to the world about him. He should sue her. He'd probably have to recuse himself, but he should sue her. She, there should be repercussions. For well, you can't. Lies. Here's here's the thing. He can't do that simply because in order to win the lawsuit, he would have to prove that what she said was false and malicious. And that means he would have to go back and dig up everybody that ever went to parties with him and everybody, you know, during the allegations and, and actually prove before a jury or a judge um, that, that all of it was false. And he doesn't want to go through all of that again. It was already ridiculous and embarrassing. He doesn't want to have to go to court and pay for it. your lives, though. These, these people, they thought it was political, but they were lying. And he's suing them for money. No, uh, no, 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 like no, 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 no. No, no, I, I don't disagree. Right? I'm, I'm just telling you. See, now, now with Trump, it's a different story. Trump, I think, and I don't. This isn't a surprise. This is just the question: is is really what took so long? Uh, he should have sued her a long time ago. Talk about Hillary and everybody that plotted uh, in 2016 to try to um, uh, uh, paint uh, the picture that he was in collusion with the Russians in Even order those, to steal those the election. The CIA uh, specialists, the 51, mm-hmm. they're, they're, they were so the experts. They lied. They all should be sued. I mean, seriously. Well, I, I mean, there probably will be a number of people that were included in this lawsuit. Like you said, he's suing everybody. And, and in this case, it's different. And thanks for the call, Charlie. This is different than the Kavanaugh thing you just brought up. Because Trump has proof. And he is more than willing to go out there and put himself out there and say, here you go. You did, what was it, about two years of investigation? Two years in the Mueller report? trying to turn over every stone they could and find Trump campaign collusion with Russia. And the only thing that was found was the fake stuff, the, the, the false and fake and fraudulent Steele dossier, who paid it, who paid for it, which we now know is Hillary's campaign. I mean, he's got all of the ammunition he needs to go to court and sue Hillary Clinton and everybody else who defamed him in this conspiracy to link his campaign to Russia. I mean, he's got and he's got he's got evidence and he's got motive because he's he knows he's clean he knows he's clear and it can be proven. But with Kavanaugh in your situation, he can't go back and sue her unless he's willing to go through all of it again. And that is all of the allegations. How often did you drink? How do we know your memory wasn't fuzzy because you were drunk? How do you know maybe you did do something illegal and you shouldn't have? Blah blah blah. And there's just a no win situation there. But to your point, your larger point, I concur, and I'm very, very glad that Donald Trump is doing this. We have to dissuade others from, uh, you know, committing these ridiculous, uh, uh, ridiculous acts of slander and libel and accusing uh, uh, people like President Trump of doing things he didn't do. And the only way to do that is to make him pay through the nose. That's what it's all about. Gary is in Berea next. Hi, Gary. You're on the air. Go ahead, sir. Hey, Bob. Uh, good morning. Thanks for taking my call. Hey, uh... Interested in this uh, event that took place uh, earlier this week with uh, Josh Mandel and uh, Mike Gibbons. And, you know, the complaint is that uh, Josh Mandel had been throwing up his service uh, in the Marine Corps. And that, uh, you know, who, like, who cares? We understand that. Thank you for your service. But here's the whole other thing. The amount of... Uh, uh, that what uh, Mike Gibbons has uh, failed to do is he's failed to talk about his, uh, his own, how did he get out of the military himself? Because he went to the Vietnam era and, you know, I was drafted. It was a poor man's war. If you didn't, couldn't afford to go 
to college, you were going to get drafted no matter what. Or if once you finished your college and you were going to go on to a master's, you were going to get drafted. So how did Mike Gibbons prevent himself from being drafted? That's one of the things I'm very curious about. And, you know, he's always throwing out his son. Well, my son's in the service. Hey, that's fine. That's great. That reminds me of of, of uh, Joe Biden's kid. He always throws out his kid. Who cares? You know, we're interested in uh, yourself, you know, not what your son's done or anything like that. What have you done as, as an individual? Uh, you know, so it's, it's a little disheartening that they're going after Josh the way he did. This kid's got a fire in his belly. Um, I don't care what anybody says. This guy's got my boat. And... Uh, you know, that's all I want to say. And thanks. All right. For thank you. Thank you, Gary. Today. Yeah. Thank you for, for uh, very good questions and, and expressing your opinion. Appreciate the phone call. Um, I want to characterize the Mandel Gibbons battle from uh, last Friday, one week ago today, in fact, um, accurately. And I said this to Josh and Josh has got a bunch of veterans coming out and saying, how dare Gibbons attack veterans? And, and I told Josh, no, no, we're not doing that. Because we're, we're going to go by his words, not by whatever intent you think he may have had. He didn't attack veterans. He didn't even attack Josh and his veteran status at all. What Mike Gibbons said, and we played the audio time and time again, I could play it again, is that you've never been in the private sector. And Josh responded, don't you say I haven't worked. I did two tours in Iraq. Never did, did uh, Gibbons say you haven't worked. He said you haven't worked in the private sector. And for Josh to turn around and say, two tours, two tours, two tours, it struck a lot of people the wrong way, including J.D. Vance, who jumped on it and said, what are you talking about? Nobody is talking about your service. That can't be your answer to everything. It's a legitimate point, and I told Josh this. And Josh understood exactly what I meant and complimented me on a fair interview when we were done. I don't think it's right to say, and I also don't think it's right for the veterans who have stepped up and said, he attacked all veterans. You know what that is? That's a Democrat move. That's a Democrat move. The Democrat move is when you say something about somebody in a class, usually in their case it's a protected class, you are attacking all, you know, whether it be blacks or Hispanics or women or trans or whatever it is. When Mike Gibbons said to Josh Mandel, you haven't been in the private sector, so you don't know, you know, he's basically trying to say you don't know anything about the stocks that, uh, that I invested in or how they were invested because you don't know anything about second shares and so forth. He simply said, you haven't been in the private sector. And then for Josh to turn that into, you're attacking my my qualifications as a Marine and as a two-tour veteran, and then other veterans say, how dare you attack a Marine and say that his his work in the, in uh, you know fighting for the country uh, in Iraq wasn't work. It was just, it was not, it was a non-starter. It's not fair. It's not accurate. Your question about, okay, since somebody brought up military, and in this case it was Josh and then J.D., what was Mike Gibbons' experience? Why wasn't he uh, in Vietnam, given his age and the time that he would have been potentially drafted? It's a great question. I don't know the answer. I don't know if anybody's ever asked him that in a debate or a private interview. But I'm sure, as he is the front runner in this race, he will get asked. In fact, I know I'll talk to him again, just like I'll talk to Josh again, just like I'll talk to J.D. again. Uh, I, of course, have open invitations out there for all of the candidates, including uh, Dolan and Timken, if she wants to come back on. But the next time I talk to Mike Gibbons, I'll ask that. 
But I just wanted to be clear, this was never a condemnation or criticism of any Marines service or anybody's service in the, in the uh, Iraq war or anybody who went to Afghanistan or anything else. And to say that somebody owes an apology for attacking veterans, he never did that. And I think it's unfair. That's a Democrat move to say you attacked veterans because you attacked Josh Mandel, not even about his veteran status, but about his experience or lack thereof in the private sector. That's not talking about the military. Military was brought into that as a, as a, as a safety net. And I just don't think that's fair. Josh knows. And Josh knows I like him. And Josh knows, uh, and Mike Gibbons knows that I like them. They're two strong conservative guys who probably have a thousand times more things in common than they do apart, but they're battling for the same job right now. And sometimes you battle a little bit unfair. And I think that's an unfair one that I don't, uh, I don't play that way. Uh, let's take a quick time out here. It's 1024, a little bit longer than I wanted, but that's okay. we got plenty of time for your phone calls coming up. Always right. Welcome back to Always Right with Bob France on AM 1420. The answer. You know that uh, little promo that you just heard there? Strikeoutslavery.com, which is kind of cool. Reminded me of baseball. Reminded me I was criticizing Major League Baseball earlier for a number of reasons. Um, I got to give a little props here. I saw this yesterday and immediately put it on alwaysright.us. Manny Machado is one of the best players in Major League Baseball, flat-out superstar. Manny Machado uh, at uh, the Padres spring training was doing an interview wearing what kind of a shirt, you may ask? Let's go, Brandon. Let's go, Brandon. Manny Machado doing an interview at spring training wearing a Let's Go Brandon t-shirt. It looks very similar to the one that I have. I've got a t-shirt and I've got the, um, uh, the hoodie version. I just think that is so cool. That is so amazing. Usually these ball players, uh, you know, would never think about doing something like that that might alienate some of their fan base. But Manny Machado sporting the Let's Go Brandon t-shirt in spring training. Uh, it's right there. It's on the right side, halfway down the page or so at alwayswrite.us. Uh, check that out for yourself. And speaking of t-shirts, by the way, your patriotic t-shirts are waiting for you on the web store at alwayswrite.us as well. We had so many people buy the, um, the uh, ban criminal race theory t-shirts at the strongsville event on wednesday night that has become the most popular sale on the web store right now take a look at it for yourself it's all based on my my accident when i tripped over my tongue when i was trying to say critical race theory about a month ago and i said criminal race theory and then i thought that sounds better it's more accurate so we made a t-shirt out of it and it's there and people are buying it like crazy so check it out at alwayswrite.us on the store web store page Okay, to Medina. Bob, you're on AM 1420, The Answer. Fire away, sir. Hey, how you doing, Bob? Thanks Good for taking my call, sir. My pleasure. Hey, uh, last night I was uh, sitting down, you know, getting weight, you know, watch dinner and everything. I figured a good way how to lose weight, and that's to watch the uh, tape of yesterday's uh, confirmation hearing, yeah. uh, hearing with uh, this uh, Miss um, Jackson. And Cory Booker, did you see that by any chance? <laughs> I did. Oh my goodness! I I had to put my food down, Bob. You know, and I couldn't find it. And unfortunately, I couldn't find a remote. It slid down. I, you know, and it's like, man, please, God, you know, <laughs> you're killing me. So, anyways, I decided, you know what? If I ever want to not eat like late at night, 
I watch the tape, you know. And, oh, you, well, yeah, you know where I thought you were going to go with that? I thought you were going to go with uh, it makes you throw up watching this guy. And the, well, and it, you know, <laughs> the I, binge I and the purge. I that, Bob, but this is, you know, I want to still kind of keep it, you know, uh, yeah. pretty much a family show and not, not to gross anybody out. But, well, uh, if you want to be grossed you. out, watch that, Corey. Thank you for the call. You watch that Corey Booker love letter that he read uh impromptu well, not impromptu he planned it but i mean uh you know not with notes not actually reading but just a love letter to katanji brown jackson it was the cheesiest it was the most revolting thing i think i've seen in so long this guy is such a public embarrassment there's a reason why his presidential campaign lasted uh about just as long as kamala harris's did which is to say here it is. There it goes. That quickly. He is such an embarrassment on the public stage. Uh, I know exactly what you're talking about, and I made a conscious decision to not play it on these uh, on these airwaves. I thought about playing it on the show, and I thought because I wanted to make fun of it, just like you are right now, and we're chuckling. But I decided, as a um, you know, out of concern for my listeners, out of concern for you, I wasn't going to subject you to it. It's cringy. It is, um, it's embarrassing. It's hard. I mean, you heard what he said. He couldn't grab the remote fast enough, and in fact, he knocked it down probably between the couch cushions and couldn't get it out fast enough. He ended up having to listen to that thing. I don't want people switching for the remote or grabbing for the remote, or in our case, grabbing for the radio dial and turning it. I am going to spare you that. Consider this my gift to you. My gift to you is not making you listen to that Cory Booker shameless performance yesterday. And I'll leave it at that. 10.30, we'll get news now. Um, let's see, what are we going to do here? Uh, how about Mr. Trump? Random talking Trump doll. Take us into break, sir. Fox and friends in the morning, they're very honorable people. You never know what you're getting from random talking Trump doll. There you have it. We'll be back. is always left. Tune your radio to the right and find a voice of reason amid the liberal chaos. Always right with Bob France on AM 1420. The answer. Yes, indeed. 1038 now on a Friday. Thanks for being with us. We'll have more free for all Friday coming up in just a bit, uh, pretty much after the top of the hour, because I want to spend the rest of this hour with our good friend and our regular Friday commentator, political pundit, former Ohio State representative, and now a member of the state's uh, Elections Commission. She is, of course, Christina Hagan. Good to have you back, Christina. How are you this morning? I'm well, Bob. Good morning. How are you? I'm okay, except I don't like how you sound right now. Um, I don't know I if that was just... <laughs> yeah, you got a little bit of a... It's uh, it's tinny or it's glitchy or something. It oh. almost sounds Bluetoothy. Yeah, we always try to avoid the Bluetooths or the speakerphones on live radio. It never works much better. Thank you so much. Yeah, it always works so much better that way. All right, Christina Hagen, I um, I kind of I'm I'm just I'm I'm dubbing uh, KBJ, which is uh, uh, Kentanji Brown Jackson uh, IDK, which of course is text short code for I don't know. 
Uh, that has been the answer she has given to countless numbers of questions in four days of Supreme Court uh, 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 justice nomination or confirmation hearings. She literally has said, I don't know, which I don't believe. She just doesn't want to answer a whole bunch of these questions, knowing that she doesn't have to. Because she, there is a very slight majority, obviously, in the Senate. In fact, just a tie-breaking majority. She doesn't need any Republican votes, so she can pretty much ignore any legitimate questions that she wishes. But I'm wondering how the American people, in fact, let me ask you, American person, how are you, how comfortable are you knowing that somebody is going to take a lifetime appointment on the Supreme Court of the United States? Uh, and is unwilling to answer very basic questions about their own record and their own judicial philosophy. Yeah, as an American, I continue to feel betrayed by the people that are supposed to be guardians over these matters. Um, The fact that they're allowing her to sail through without so much as a basic uh, definition of her beliefs and um, explanation for the cases that she has presided over and the questionable matters at hand. I mean, her unwillingness to be clear about just about anything should be the most disqualifying thing of all. Uh, But the fact that she responds more frequently with, I don't know, than something of substance should be of concern to every American. And I think uh, worse than the I don't know is that she does know. Uh, And she has a very radical and ideological perspective on these matters um, to the extent that she's unwilling to define what a woman is, unwilling to recognize fetal pain, unwilling to uh, even define her own methodology. And I just, I think uh, back to the Coney Barrett or the Coney Barrett and the Kavanaugh hearings and just the brutal nature of those screenings and the scrutiny um, and their professionalism and responding to those um, accusations, their grit, their determination to provide a case for why they are worthy of serving on the highest court in the country. Um, Coney Barrett, you know, easily uh, describing the originalism, Kavanaugh, that the constitutional analysis must begin with the constitutional text and the original understanding, and yet we receive a, well, I really don't have a judicial philosophy um, from this woman. Instead, she suggests she uses a methodology, and I thought it was um, an interesting analysis by Professor Jennifer Mascott's testimony for the committee, and she explained how this methodology, as evidence in her judicial opinions, would allow her to, for her to stray from the text of the law. Um, what we're all afraid of as average Americans is legislating from the bench. Nothing is more disruptive to the balance of powers in this country and the balance of our representation than those who become radicalized in the courts to decide that they are going to define and write law. So this approach embedded with certain lower court decisions further suggests that the judge's application of constitutional and statutory methodology would differ significantly from the approach of previously committed textualists and original jurists. She's basically given us a word salad of her belief in judicial philosophy. And if you think about it, this is not a fast food menu. This is not a la carte. This is not you go to McDonald's and you choose what you're feeling at the moment with whatever you have in your wallet to pay for it. We're talking about Supreme Court justices um, who typically bring intellectual and philosophical frameworks along with them to this task, one of the most important tasks in our entire country, allowing us as Americans to feel there's some type of coherence and consistency to their judicial analysis. But what has been made clear um, by Booker and others is that this is more of a Jerry Springer-style uh, pack-the-court opportunity um, than a serious matter for the American public. I want to uh, 
get you to follow up on a little bit of some of that, Christina Hagen, uh, because of what, of what, of course, is being accused here, and that is anybody who brings up everything you just did about her judicial record, about her uh, uh, her performance on the court, not to mention her, her demeanor and the way she has ignored some of these questions, of course, you're racist for pointing those things out. You must also be a misogynist. You must not like people like you, women, because this is what is being said. I want to read a quote from Joy Reid on MSNBC about all of this and get you to respond to that. She said, uh, I tweeted that they were treating her like a black shopper that they were following through the store. Just the ultimate disrespect for her as a human being, as a judge. The fact that her family was there. All because, in Lindsey Graham's view, apparently, this whole hearing was payback for Kavanaugh. And nobody told him to sexually violate his high school friend or those girls in college and get accused of it credibly. That is not the fault of Ketanji Brown-Jackson. Apparently, according to Lindsey Graham, she needs to pay for that. That comment followed a Washington Post full-on editorial board article claiming that the treatment of Ketanji Brown-Jackson has been worse than the treatment of Brett Kavanaugh, who was indeed accused of raping and orchestrating weekly gang rapes when he was in high school and in college, to the point where they had to question how many times he drank because maybe he was drunk when he committed all of those sexual assaults and just can't recall it the the same way that the accusers did. How do you respond to something like that when they have not asked a word about her past, about her personal life, about relationships? They have focused 1,000% on her record as a jurist and on her judicial philosophy as it pertains to the law. Yeah, I respond with, it's more of the same. And if Americans, if American leaders are unwilling to call it for what it is, then we're going to continue to allow them to control the narrative and make really terrible appointments that put our country in peril's way. I mean, this is a person, you know, how do I feel about her um, being a woman and, you know, she's under attack? Uh, well, she doesn't know what a woman is. So I feel um, great concern for fellow womankind. I feel great concern for fellow vulnerable Americans in the womb. I mean, this is somebody who said she doesn't know if children feel pain when they're being torn apart limb for limb or killed by chemical um, starvation or they're being extracted brutally. from. She doesn't know. She has no idea. And really, it's no concern to her. Yet, um, some of the most important cases in our country's history are going to be before her relative to those matters, but she's unaware because she's not a biologist. Well, I'm not on the Supreme Court, and I can tell you that she's not qualified. Uh, and not, not to mention she has a history of combativeness toward certain persons. Um, it, this is based in her track record and judicial qualifications. It has nothing to do with her as an individual human being, unlike the nonstop assault on Brett Kavanaugh and his entire family. The way that they made that family live through how the entire me too movement being launched against a single man simply because they feared that he would usher in a poster America. I mean, it's simply unparalleled what she's gone through and the type of coddling that she's experienced and the dismissiveness that's been allowed. The lack of scrutiny is a disservice to every serious American and every American alike, because it's going to result in catastrophic results on the court. Um, I just want to, you, you, you mentioned it, uh, among many other things. <clears throat> I just want to get your thoughts on the, the whole woman thing. 
where she said she couldn't, but the reality is she wouldn't because she would have to fly in the face of the left wing that she represents if she actually defined a woman as an actual female, defined uh, as uh, you know a, a person bearing two X chromosomes uh, and having a uterus and ovaries, or at least uh, starting out that way. Uh, that, of course, refers to people who have had hysterectomies. A lot of people say, you can't claim you're not a woman if you don't have a uterus in regards to the trans issue because some women have them removed. Well, duh. But... She didn't want to say what a woman was technically, biologically, and scientifically because it would it would force her into a bad position with her base and her and her uh, uh, and her side. But Jenna Ellis is among others who said her refusal or inability to answer that question is disqualifying in its own right. Uh, first of all, the crack, crack about I'm not a biologist. Uh, you know, as somebody else said, uh, I'm not a veterinarian either, but I know what a dog is. Um, right. said that this is completely disqualifying because how can she be expected to hear cases and rule on cases involving women's rights or involving anything having to do with families? Any cases that might um, uh, come before her that involve recognizing the distinction and the difference between men and women as it pertains to their rights, she can't sit on because she said she doesn't know what a woman is. I mean, that, that, that alone should make her uh, uh, you know, disqualified from consideration. Yeah, unquestionably. One of the most basic truths. I, the most refreshing thing, I think, about um, the screening was that she did admit that she's not a biologist, uh, giving root to the reality that uh, whether you are a male or female is based in your biology from day one. Uh, so she at least recognizes that, but she's not willing to commit to understanding it because she obviously wants to pervert the truth in order to push a leftist agenda, in order to further deteriorate the rights of women uh, in order to further destroy the lives of children in order to further confuse the nation. Um, I think about places like Ukraine. I mean, right now, men are serving by the demand of the government and their needs. Uh, those who are trying to leave the country that are biological men are being detained for the purposes of service. There is a distinct difference that is not arguable um, yet she is unwilling to commit to the truth and the reality of basic human biology. This, this in itself should, without question, be disqualifying for her service on the United States Supreme Court. Uh, completely agree. We're talking with Christina Hagen this morning on AM 1420, The Answer, as we do each and every Friday. Christina, let's move off of this for just a moment. I want to talk about the lawsuit. The lawsuit that I think has been years in the making, uh, I didn't know if it was ever going to come. How many of us, uh, during the course of the, uh, the aftermath, really, of the 2016 election and the allegations of Russian collusion, uh, we wanted Hillary Clinton and all of those who were responsible for the Steele dossier, uh, the, the spying on a presidential campaign, the ongoing spying on a president. We wanted them all prosecuted. We kept saying Hillary for jail. Uh, Hillary for prison rather than for president. And this isn't criminal. This is civil. But finally, here it is. Donald Trump is suing Hillary Clinton over the 2016 Russian collusion allegations and a whole lot of other people, too. Your thoughts? Yeah, I think it's something we've all been anxiously waiting to see. I mean, for potential justice to be served, for them to be named and called, um, this is this is only rightful. I mean, we've looked at six years of abuse. Uh, by the media, you know, further evidence of this desire to lie to and pull the wool over Americans' eyes by the American media, covering for these criminals, essentially. I mean, we look at even, you know, the differential in the presidential election. 
um, in 2020, realizing that had the media not purposely, intentionally covered up the extent and depth of what was happening in the Biden laptop, we wouldn't be where we are today. We wouldn't see the country being destroyed before our eyes. So I think, yes, um, most reasonable Americans are looking at this and thinking, thank goodness. It's about time. We've all been waiting for them to be called on the carpet for what they've done, for the damage that they've caused, and just for the deep, deep, deep destruction and evil rootedness of what they've launched against not just the president um, in attacking and attempting to destroy him, but what they've done to the American people and how they've shamed so many people for supporting a president who cared about this country first and who kept us out of, quite frankly, what looks like could be World War Three. I mean, these are serious consequences of their lies and disseminating of lies and corruption that was deeply rooted across many bodies of government. I mean, this is not light stuff. This is serious, and it's, it's a blessing to see that there's finally going to be some type of action on it. Yeah, and the question is, is, is it, you know, did he wait too long? Reading, reading the um, language, acting in concert, the, de- the, the defendants maliciously conspired to weave a false narrative that their Republican opponent, Donald J. Trump, was colluding with a hostile foreign sovereignty. Uh, this is the allegation in the 108-page filing. The suit alleges racketeering and a conspiracy to commit injurious falsehoods. Um, according to one lawyer specializing in racketeering cases, Christina, um, he may have waited too long to bring the racketeering claims. Civil racketeering claims are governed by a four-year statute of limitations, and we're now five years removed. So he may not be able to press forward with that, which would be a crying shame, because I think it is racketeering. It is. It involves a lot of different entities and a lot of different people colluding and conspiring to allege, ironically, collusion and conspiracy. Unquestionably. Yeah, I hope that that, um, that there is some flexibility in that and that it was ongoing. I mean, this wasn't something that just happened to be launched, but was uh, committed throughout the entirety of his presidency and even thereafter. I mean, there's still always, anytime something you don't like, they're blaming on this Russian collusion, this uh, President Trump has drummed us up. It's, it's always ongoing. So I am prayerful that there is some flexibility in that, and it's not just from the moment of the launch. So... Uh, I respect that attorney's opinion and will delve deeper into that myself to try to evaluate whether they can hold them accountable to the fullest degree of their crimes. They certainly have to. And it's not just to get, you know, some sort of justice for Donald Trump and for his campaign and his team. Yes, it's to democracy. stop. It, well, you, bingo, you nailed it. You, you said it much more succinctly than I would have. I was going to say it's to, you've got to deter other uh, types of actions like this in the future. If you allow them to get away with this uh, against the President of the United States, a candidate, and then during his presidency, then nobody is safe. We have to have some accountability here in order to preserve democracy. Christina Hagen, terrific uh, conversation as always. Thank you for what you bring to this conversation every week. We'll talk to you again soon. God bless. Thanks, Bob. That's Christina Higgin. It's 1054. We are back to what? We call it Free For All Friday. Anything you want to say, we will put up and on the radio. If you've got a question, you got a comment, we'll take your calls at 216-901-0945. Or we will take your comments recorded at the uh, phenomenal new website that everybody's raving about, I think. Alwayswrite.us. Alwayswrite.us. Record your message there, and we'll get you up and on the radio. Can I get an amen? Amen! Amen!
I want to get one of the recordings in here real quick from alwaysright.us. Hey, Bob. I was wondering if you saw the Potatoes press conference yesterday. Some stupid reporter asked the most stupidest of all questions, insinuating that if Trump won in 2024 and uh, decided to stab NATO in the back and join Russia, I mean, is there anything that Biden could do to stop it? And uh, Biden, in a very unpresidential manner, very mashed, I would say, sat there and uh, started going off on the Charlottesville lie again. Now, the best I can see, the, re- the Republicans haven't said anything to come to Trump's defense. Absolutely nothing. I mean, the party's so clueless, so why vote for him in 2022? I, I don't know. I mean, they, didn't, they know all the catchphrases. They know the words. And, but really, it's a spineless, gutless party. Biden's poll numbers are so low, it comes with a smell, and they don't have the brains to attack him. It is, it's stupid. Well, I tell you what, Daniel in Cleveland, it is stupid that Biden continues to repeat the Charlottesville lie, but I'm not going to hold all the Republicans accountable for responding to every inane, ridiculous, stupid thing that this guy says. Otherwise, there would be a nonstop 24-7 loop of Republicans trying to counter the lies that uh, Joe, Joe Biden tells. I don't think it's necessarily not wanting to come to Trump's defense either, because so many of them have since 2017 and now when all of that went down. And the best way to come to Trump's defense against that ridiculous Charlottesville lie, of course, is to listen to Trump. Listen to what he said. It's not that difficult. He made it very, very clear, as a matter of fact. President Trump, uh, when uh, the Charlottesville uh, atrocity happened, President Trump very uh, clearly articulated that the very fine people he was referring to were not the neo-Nazis. As a matter of fact, they should be condemned totally. But he's talking about people who were there simply to express their opinion about the statue, who are not with any far uh, you know, right extremist groups or neo-Nazi groups or anything else. He was there, or some people were there just simply to express their opinion about the statue and had nothing to do with anything. So he said it very clearly. Everybody knows what Trump said. And really, the only defense that needs to be done for him is to... Um, is to play his words, which I can do for you maybe after the top of the hour news. Uh, thanks for the great comment. Keep those comments coming at alwayswrite.us on the sound off button, and we're back after the news. You and I know and do not believe that life is so dear and peace so sweet as to be purchased at the price of chains and slavery. If nothing in life is worth dying for, when did this begin? Just in the face of this enemy? Or should Moses have told the children of Israel to live in slavery under the pharaohs? Should Christ have refused the cross? Should the patriots at Concord Bridge have thrown down their guns and refused to fire the shot heard round the world? The martyrs of history were not fools. And our honored dead who gave their lives to stop the advance of the Nazis didn't die in vain. Where then is the road to peace? Well, it's a simple answer after all. You and I have the courage to say to our enemies, there is a price we will not pay. There is a point beyond which they must not advance. This is Always Right with Bob France on AM 1420, The Answer. Hour number three underway now at eight minutes past the 11 o'clock. It's going to take you till around 11.45-ish. We always give Bill O'Reilly that uh, last 10, 15 minutes to have his say. But between now and then, it's your say. Open free-for-all phone lines at 216-901-0945. 
and 888-281-1110. And do not forget, my friend, that you can also leave your message for me uh, on alwaysright.us. Hi, Bob. This is Kathy. And great uh, event in Strongsville. Jim Renacci was right on. He was on fire. And Peter Kirsten, I can listen to him for hours. Anyway, I just have one comment regarding Herschel Walker. And if it was the other way around and the conservatives fired a black gentleman, wouldn't that be uh, make him a bunch of racists? So why isn't the Biden team a bunch of racists? Oh, wait, they are. Thanks for the good show. <laughs> Thank you, Kathy. You made a good point. And I did have a great time in uh, Strongsville at the Save Our Schools rally. A lot of wonderful patriots there. It was terrific. And your point is right, by the way. If a conservative either criticizes, condemns, or in this case, what they did with Herschel Walker was kick him off of the presidential commitment on uh, physical fitness, along with Dr. Mehmet Oz. But if a conservative does it, he's a racist, or she's a racist. If a liberal does it, it's uh, completely justified, and there must be a good reason uh, for that. That's that's the reality. You're 100% right. Let me get another one. Greetings. This is Lisa Woods from Medina County Friends and Neighbors. Reminding you to join us tomorrow, Saturday, March 26th, at the Thirsty Cowboys in Medina. Get ready for the May primary and meet candidates who will be on the ballot. We have guest speakers, Ohio Secretary of State Frank LaRose, running for re-election, and also U.S. candidate Mark Paquita. That's 8.30 a.m. Join us. Look at that. Look at Lisa making use of the website now instead of sitting on hold sometimes for an hour and a half on a Friday to tell us about the McFan meeting on uh, uh, that Saturday. Lisa, thank you for the details. By the way, I will be speaking again at Medina County Friends and Neighbors on uh, April 23rd. April 23rd, right before what could be, should be the May 3rd primary. It'll be a huge, huge uh, morning, and uh, we'll have a lot of great information to present, a lot of great discussion to be had there as well. So don't forget, if you can't sit on hold, leave a message for me at alwayswrite.us. Let's go to Todd in Cleveland on AM 1420, The Answer. Todd, it's been a minute, man. Where you been? Yo, Bob, so public service announcement. The definition yes, of a woman is a female homo sapien. That should have been a response, and they could have just gone on to the next question. Disgraceful. Disgraceful. So... Here, here's hold on, though. Hold on, T. Um, when I looked up the dictionary definition of woman just to see what Merriam-Webster had to say about it, they said kind of what you did. They didn't say homo sapien. They said an adult female person. The follow-up to that would be, okay, what is a female? And that's when you have to acknowledge biology. And and Because I looked up female also in Merriam-Webster. A person bearing two X chromosomes in the cell nuclei and normally having a vagina, uterus, and ovaries. Um, And the normally part is, of course, some people don't because, you know, hysterectomies and so forth. They don't have the uterus uh, or the ovaries. So um, there is a science, scientific answer to that. But you don't need to be a biologist, as she said, to answer that. Say that it's an adult female, that's what a woman is, and a female is somebody with two X chromosomes. But she would never do that, Todd, and you know why. Because her party and her uh, side of the political spectrum would go nuts in saying you are denying trans women status as women, and which, of course, is, is, is what should be done. The reason why I specify Homo sapien because there's multiple other types of females in the, in the uh, animal kingdom. So I'm, I'm, that's why I specified that. 
So no, no, um, I get. I, I wasn't talking about the Homo sapien part. I'm just talking about the female part. They would need to be then. Okay, then what's a female? Because you're right. I get your point. That's why they just said person, which differentiates from the other species, right? Same way Homo sapien does. But 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 the the the, the crux of this is going to come down there to then what is a female? If a woman is an adult human Homo sapien, whatever you want to say, who's a female. Then you say, what's a female? And the female is very easily defined by science in the way that I just described. And that's what the left tries to hide from. The party of science tries to hide from that science any time this discussion comes up, all in deference to the trans movement mafia. And that's just the reality of it. But uh, go ahead. What else you got? We've talked numerous times with one another, not just to one another, with Mm -hmm. one another, about the need for um, better civics education in the taxpayer-funded neighborhood public schools. Preach. And I always specify that it should be, it's a starting grade three, two years on municipal, then go up two years on county, then state, federal, and have some intera- have some studies on international um, governments that affect the U.S. foreign policy and functions of our government by the time they get to the 11th and 12th grade. Okay, the reason I'm bringing reason I'm bringing that up today is on full display oh, during this hearing have been made for me and people like me argument for better civics education so that we don't tolerate all that pontificating during the time when these senators are at work on the, for the taxpayer they, they there was no there should have been numerous questions and commentary that directly related to this woman's to this woman's um, pursuit of this job um, posed to her. It could have come from the public with their names attached to them. But Cory Booker spent all that time pontificating. Um, Lindsey Graham spent an unusual and unnecessary amount of time talking about people that should go to jail forever for going online and looking at child porn. It's wrong, but spend some, spend some more of your time on the good questions that you did pose, but then you went off on a tangent. And the same thing with Ted Cruz and a new, numerous other ones, that they need to be more restricted on what they can question and, com- and give commentary on during this time period that they're working for the public, you know? Well, Todd, I, I would respond in two ways, I guess. Um, I, the last part I would agree with. I think the senators should be restricted in the kind of questions they can ask, but for me, and, and this isn't just being partisan because I'm a conservative person, but for me, the kind of questions that should be out of bounds are the kind that were asked of Brett Kavanaugh, of did you drink when you were in high school? Did you drink on this day and on this day? Uh, and all of, Did you tweet this when you were 15? Uh, and all of these kinds of gotcha things from the past that have no bearing on somebody's ability uh, or character to do the job for which they are applying right now. I think the questions that should be allowed are the kind that were allowed here that were specific to cases involving a judge's record. And Correct. J. Brown Jack- Jackson has a whole lot of cases. And in fact, I think um, Ted Cruz listed uh, and, and, and literally said it was unanimous in every case that came before her involving child pornography or sex offenders. She gave very, very disparately. In fact, I think he said it was 47% less time in prison than either the recommendations uh, by the prosecutor or the federal guidelines called for. So I think that's I think that's very appropriate to bring those things up, and if you have to repeat it a few times to make sure it sinks in for other 
senators to vote upon. Um, this is judicial philosophy. This is judicial, uh, her judicial record. And I think all of that stuff is, is you know, should be brought to, uh, brought to light, uh, Todd. It's not just the questioning, Bob. It's the commentary. It's the excessive commentary on things that are not directly related to the taxpayer-funded job that's being pursued and interviewed by do you do you think Lindsey Graham do you think Lindsey Graham's commentary when he said good good let him go to prison for thirty or forty years in response to the judge's statement of almost apology for the for the uh, offenders who were saying she was like you know with just one click or if you spend fifteen minutes using and, and disseminating these things you can go to jail for thirty or forty she's essentially expressing her belief that this is way too harsh for users and and disseminators of child pornography. And you don't th- do you, I'm asking you here because because you know how I feel about it. I'm glad somebody said good because I bet if you ask 90 percent of them or ask, ask everybody, you'll find 90 percent of Americans who would agree. And the only 10 percent who didn't would be the child pornography users. He was excessive in his response. And I want to give you one example of a question that I wanted to ask, get somebody. I wanted somebody to ask. And I'm a constituent of the two senators from Georgia. And I would have asked if they would have put it out there. Okay. You no, know, this is this is related to the job. Talk with me about how you make your decisions historically and how you will make your decision in the future if you get this job on how you pick clerks. And be, be very detailed to me about it. You know, that, that's the question that could have come from the public, and they could have put that in place of any of those jokers pontificating to the degree that they would. If we had a better educated public, Bob, who responded better to the education they have on the functions of government, this would not be this behavior of theirs would not be tolerated. No further comment. Well, now. I'll tell you what, man, and Todd, it's always good to get your call. And you're right; we always talk with each other, not at each other or to each other. I appreciate. Well, not all that. the time, Bob. Uh, I'm going <laughs> to go to ninety percent again. I'll do the same ninety percent I did a moment ago. Uh, thank you, my friend. I appreciate it. Listen um, to the point about the education of the public and asking questions that you know an educated public would want to know, such as what do you look for in a clerk. Most of the public doesn't even know what a law clerk does. I mean, they probably think that they're just like a secretary or something. Um, it is extraordinarily important. You're right, but most people don't know that. Which brings me back to the first point that you just you just brought up. What a crime it is, and what a shame it is that American kids, students, can get their high school diplomas and go out into the work world and be voters and decide what's going to happen to the future of this country without having an inkling as to what U.S. civics are. And yet, we require anybody who comes from outside the United States who wants to be a citizen. Obviously, I'm not, I brought this up on Wednesday at the Strongsville event. If you're, an, if you're an immigrant to this country, a legal immigrant who came here legally and is applying for citizenship status, you've got to pass a citizenship test in which you are going to have been forced to learn and memorize things that American students don't have to learn and memorize. How silly is that? And obviously I'm arguing not for the immigrants who wish to become citizens to not have to take that test any longer or learn American history and American civics, but I really believe, as you do, that every American student should have to pass those classes and pass a test as well. 
it's inconceivable to me that we don't make sure that we are turning loose new young adults at the age of 18, fresh out of high schools, into the United States without any inkling of how the United States is run, how it was run, how it was formed, and so on and so forth. Civics matters. It is, it is simply inconceivable to me that we would demand that foreigners who want to become Americans know this, but that Americans don't have to know squat. And that's, that's a completely nonpartisan take. That's not a conservative, not a liberal viewpoint. That is a flat-out American viewpoint. We should all, all of our kids should have this, uh, this education. All right, thank you again, brother. Donnie's in Euclid next. Hey, Donnie, go ahead. Hey, Bob. Hey, Young Donnie. man really makes a person think, let me tell you. No doubt about it. He does every time he calls. He gives me a lot to think about and a lot to respond to. Good guy. Exactly. I just wanted to ask you a quick question. I've heard I've I've heard your programs that included uh, Mike Gibbons and and, uh, Josh Mandel, Mm -hmm. and I haven't heard your opinion about a guy that matters to me because he helped helped attend to a uh, a matter with my pension, his office. And I and uh, I really tend to appreciate what Matt Dolan and his office did to help me. And I was just wondering if uh, you could you could give me an opinion on him. Well, I'll do the best I can uh, with that, Donnie. And thanks for the call. Without going into too much depth, because. Um, as I have said repeatedly, I'm not doing an endorsement in a primary. I want the most conservative and best qualified person to win this job. Um, there are some good things that I've seen and heard from Matt Dolan. There are some things in his career that make me question uh, his true con- uh, conservative uh, uh, bona fides, if you will. Um, I was very, very disappointed that he joined his family in caving into cancel culture and political correctness and sold out uh you know over a hundred years of of baseball fans history by changing the name of the cleveland indians um it shows me that he will listen to a very small group of activists um you know including including social justice warriors if you will over the the broader constituency um Hundreds of thousands, in fact, probably millions of Indians fans were outraged at the idea of losing their team name and identity. But there were a small handful of activists who said, you are racist if you allow this to continue. And he and his family caved. Uh, that's not standing up for the constituency. And as I said to Matt Dolan, when I interviewed him uh, uh, about six weeks ago-ish, you know, I said, how do I know that when you become a senator in the United States Senate, you're not going to do the same thing? That the will of the majority of Ohioans, 11.5 million of us, would be ignored while you listen to just a handful of activists that you don't want to tick off. So I've got some questions about Matt. I told him those things. He didn't like that, by the way. But I told him that, and I'll be fair about that. Uh, I will also take into consideration stories like yours. You have uh, you you got some good service out of him as it relates to your pension. I don't need to know the details, but you went to uh, you know a, 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 an Ohio senator and asked for help and got it, and I'm glad of that. And I and I hope there are a whole lot of Ohio senators and House members who are helping their constituents. I really do. Bigger picture, though, um, I've got a few questions about Matt Dolan that I would need to have answered between now and primary day uh, if he was going to earn my vote. 
And that's as far as I'll take it, because like I said, I'm not announcing who is going to earn my vote. And quite frankly, I'm not really certain if I know who is going to earn my vote between now and May 3rd. Or now in August, if they bump it back. Uh, 1124, quick time out, right back. Separating the truth from the lies. In life, there's truth. And tragically, there are lies. Always right with Bob France, giving you only the truth. We shall know the truth, and the truth shall make us free. On AM 1420, the answer. That, that couldn't have been Biden's voice, could it? Was that Biden's voice? That couldn't be. That blithering idiot wouldn't know truth if it came up and punched him in the face like corn pop. Are you kidding me? This dirtbag that I refer to as President Brandon literally went to a foreign country and in front of the world shamed the United States of America by claiming that its past president, its last president, declared that neo-Nazis were very fine people. He repeated the Charlottesville lie, which is just completely indefensible. Donald Trump made so very clear what he was talking about when he said there were very fine people on both sides. And he personally condemned everything that has happened since that moment in 2017. Every single bit of it that the press has put out there has been a lie. He did not describe neo-Nazis as very fine people. He described neo-Nazis as people who should be condemned totally. But that there were people who were not neo-Nazis who were there who did not want the statue being taken down. Those people were the very fine people who were doing it legally and who were doing it without pitchforks and torches and, 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 and fights and violence. Just like he said on the other side, those who wanted the statue of Robert E. Lee taken down there were very fine people too there, too, that were not part of Antifa with all of their weaponry. There were equal combatants at that Charlottesville riot, that fight. There were equal combatants. There were angry, vicious, far-left thugs wearing Antifa costumes, and there were nasty, angry, vicious, far... I don't even like to call them far-right because that's not a characteristic of of being conservative or being on the right, but neo-Nazis and white nationalists who were there, and they did battle each other. And unfortunately, one of these idiots got into a car and rammed a crowd and killed a woman. But that does not mean that everyone that was there in that park that day was on either side of the violence. There were people there peacefully saying this should stay because. And there are other people there who were very innocent people who were uh, uh, peacefully saying, no, this statue should go because. And those people are patriots. Those are people who are expressing their First Amendment rights to protest, to gather, and to express their opinions peacefully. Peaceable assembly. It's in the First Amendment. And those are the people that Donald Trump was talking about. He made it clear. You're changing history, you're changing culture, and you had people, and I'm not talking about the neo-Nazis and the white nationalists, because they should be condemned totally. But you had many people in that group other than neo-Nazis and white nationalists, okay? And the press has treated them absolutely unfairly. Now, in the other group also, you had some fine people, but you also had troublemakers, and you see them come with the, with the black outfits, 
and with the helmets and with the baseball bats. And he's right. Equal combatants, violent thugs on both sides of that statue debate, but also there, off to the side, who were not part of the fights and the violence, were innocent people, very fine citizens, who were there to peacefully make their opinion known about whether the statue should come down. Donald Trump was right. Joe Biden is a liar, and he's the worst kind of a liar. And what kind of a uh, liar is that? What's the worst kind? The kind that repeats lies well after the truth has been revealed. And he's been repeating that lie for five years. Let's get the news right now. Uh, Mr. Scream, can you take us into the news, please? Thank you, sir. Got time for a few more phone calls here. If you would like to make them now, 216-901-0945, a lot of really great calls on this Free For All Friday, which I really appreciate. Got to try to leave a little more room on Fridays than we normally do. We get packed with guests because there's newsmakers all who want to be heard on this program, and uh, and we do. We pack it up sometimes, but really great to have a light day today so we can hear a lot more from you. Uh, and don't forget, if you don't want to wait on hold, I'm going to keep telling you this because I love it. Uh, if you don't want to wait on hold and you want to be heard, go ahead and leave your message for me at alwayswrite.us. Sound off. You know what I've been doing, by the way, in addition to the, uh, the, the button on the right that just says sound off? Underneath the stories that I feature on alwayswrite.us, I will have a separate button there. It goes to the same place, but it's be specific and sound off on the Senate race, or be specific and sound off on what Biden said, or be specific and sound off on the Oklahoma story, whatever the things are. Uh, it's just another way to remind you when you're reading the stories and you've got something to say, whatever your first blush reaction is. In most websites, you have to go to the comment section and type it out and not know who's going to read it. But with this website, it's different. You don't type it out. You say it and know that I'm going to hear it and I'm going to play it and I'm going to respond to it. So make sure you do that under each of the stories that you visit on alwayswrite.us. All right, let's go to Twinsburg and say hello to Joan on AM 1420, The Answer. Hello, Joan. You are on the air. Go right ahead. Hi, Bob. Uh, thank you for all you do and the opportunity to make my voice heard. Certainly. I want to talk about the senatorial candidates for the primary. Okay. First of all, um, Jane Timpton and Matt Dolan, I I can't conceive why when they have failed so miserably to rein in the Republican Party in Ohio and clean up this mess, we could have had a state running like Florida's state, and they couldn't even do it there. Why would they even put their resume in for a bigger job? They want to go mess up Washington, too. And then the second one is J.D. Vance, who has obviously shown us that he can't, he has no foresight or vision because he he dissed Trump and now he's had a change of heart. But we don't need someone in Washington who can always see the right thing to do after history has gone forward. And 
I want to talk specifically about the incident where Josh Mandel and Matt Gibbons, Gibbons. had that. Yes, Gibbons had that altercation. Thank you. Um, perception is what we think we heard. Uh, so, in the course of people when they're debating on a stage, if you react to something you thought you heard when it really wasn't what you heard. As far as Josh Mandel was concerned, that's the kind of person that I want in Washington. I want somebody who's going to stand up to the Democrats, the liberals, and all of these people with these weird ideas, who's going to be another Ted Cruz or Jim Jordan, but get in there and fight. And I think that Josh has proved himself on several fronts when he was treasurer. He did get our checkbook online in Ohio. I find that very admirable. He did stand up for school prayer, and he did also stand up for the heartbeat law. But what I think is is incredibly more important to understand is when you look at a candidate and he was willing to drop out of a Senate race to, to place his family first, as he did about four years ago, that that indicates the kind of character of someone who is able to prioritize what's really important. And as far well, as Mike is concerned, um, he probably is a good man, but he's a businessman. He hasn't said, I'm going to go in there and not take any salary and donate it you know, to charity or whatever. And I think it's really important that we have a known quantity here. So, Thank you so much. Joan, that's a lot of um, information, and I appreciate it. I'm so glad you called called to express yourself on that. Thank you. I would say this in response. Uh, I agree with almost everything you said at the end about uh, Josh. Because when I interviewed Josh back on another station when he was treasurer, I told him the same things you did about the checkbook online, I t- about the prayer, uh, and all the other things that I find very admirable. Like I said, I love that in that conservatism in a, in a few of these candidates, including Josh. I don't necessarily agree with the first part where you said when somebody reacts to what they think they heard as opposed to what they heard and are willing to fight for it. I have a problem with that aspect of it. As I told Josh to his face on on Tuesday, uh, I have a problem with that. I think you need to hear what really was said and react to that. And if you misheard it and reacted to it um, inaccurately, I think that is actually something you need to apologize for and move on. Uh, he thought he heard somebody attacking his patriotism as a Marine, and he didn't. What he heard really, and because we played the clip over and over again, was somebody saying, you haven't been in the private sector, so you don't know squat about it, you know, about investments and that sort of thing. You are not in the private sector and never have been. So I would prefer somebody go back and say, hold on, did I hear that right? Because here was my response if that's what you said. If I didn't hear that right, well, here's my response to that. And that's what I gave Josh a chance to do on the air. Josh, tell us what is your private sector experience, because that's what he criticized, not your Marine service or your war service or anything of, the, of that nature. So that's the, you know, the unfortunate part about it is sometimes Pete, you're, what, what Joan just said is accurate. The perception of what you heard may be different from the reality of what you heard. How you react to that, I think, is what defines a person. Once it is clarified, if your perception was off, how do you react to it then? Do you double down and still reply to what you thought you heard, or do you say, oh, well, that's a different story. Here's my response to that. That's what I want all these guys to do. 
That's what I want every one of these candidates to do, because that's how we're going to put the right person in Washington. All right, we're done. The music's about to end. Thank you to everybody for being a part of it today. Appreciate you very much. Have a safe weekend, and always remember, let's go, Brandon! Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.